0: is back the brian mud show throw in your two cents call one 610 6397 that's one 610 6397 In fact, Facebook lost a million daily active users in the most recent quarter as it struggles to stay relevant with younger users. The company is also dealing with privacy issues. They say inflation is weighing on investor spending, advertiser spending. Yeah, you got Facebook getting crushed. Markets are lower again today, generally. But Facebook, which of course is now meta, meta platforms officially you want to talk about getting roasted on back of their earnings report and their guidance going forward? I mean, this is some serious roasting taking place. Facebook in real time off seventy six dollars a share at two hundred and forty seven dollars. So, I mean, that's big time, and it's also you know cranking uh, cranking up a lot of the uh, problems with social media companies generally as well, and whether. There are going to be advertising problems going forward. One thing that hasn't been talked about when you're looking at a lot of these social companies, and it's interesting because I'm a observer of things. As you all know, I'm an analyst. And so I will take a look at things in total. And what I continue to notice is you have all of the attention and all of the interest towards the typical mainstream Social media companies, but how many people are using alternative social media companies now that 's really not being factored into this it 's not even really much of a you know the mainstream part of the conversation and of course, you know, you have a lot of conservatives that have felt disenfranchised by platforms like Facebook and Twitter and the like, and they have gone to places like getter and parlor among others and and so maybe that 's factoring into some of what you're hearing with Facebook losing users for the first time ever. So anyway, it's kind of an interesting little factoid there. Now, this is something we mentioned yesterday. The Center for Biological Diversity and the Save the Manatee Club, they stepped up to the plate. They have sued the feds over their failure to protect Florida's waterways and to help the restoration of seagrass within our waterways. Of course, our waterways and none the least of which is the Intracoast. So you got under the purview of U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And they are are tasked with responsibilities there. So how have they fallen short? How has this contributed to the sad record number of manatee deaths last year? And we just got a new report in. It does not look like it's getting any better the early part of this year. here to talk about this. Patrick Rose, an aquatic biologist and the executive director at the Save the Manatee Club. Patrick, good to talk with you.
1: Uh, Good to be here. Thank you.
0: So, Patrick, tell us a little bit about where you believe the beds have failed us in helping restore habitats and protect the manatees.
1: The seagrasses themselves, especially in the Indian River Lagoon on the East Coast, are are part of the designated uh, critical habitat, but it's not defined specifically. It's more defined as an area. And we approached the Fish and Wildlife Service through a formal petition back in 2008. So we're talking about more than you know, uh, almost going on 13 years, to upgrade the critical habitat uh, all over Florida where it's designated for manatees, but especially within the Indian River Lagoon to define those more constituent elements such as seagrasses or warm water habitat or springs and other places that manatees have to depend on staying warm in the winter time. They agreed with us in 2010 that it was important to do but now here we are in basically 2022 after a disastrous year last year that really is a result of manatees starving to death for the first time in any significant numbers in an area that had more than enough seagrasses for them a decade ago that would have for many times not the amount of population that was there. It kept declining over quite a few years. We have reengaged in our discussions with them. They seem to be more open to the idea of doing it now, but we want to make sure that we don't, you know, get the same thing as we did 10 years ago. It's an important thing to do, they said, but we don't have the money or the staff to do it. And so this is our way to hold their feet to the fire and insist that they do go forward and update that critical habitat and not allow other places, such as the Indian River Lagoon, to continue to decline where this is critically important for the manatees.
0: Patrick, as a biologist, I'm sure you are well-versed in the influences that have led to this devastating habitat loss and in such a a rapid window of, of time as well. Can you quantify the discharges out of Lake Okeechobee and often the toxic discharges can you quantify that impact on the loss of habitat
1: well so the o- o- lake Okeechobee discharges out the saint lucie canal to the east and 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 making their way there as well as they come out actually to the west and go down the close so when they get those both slugs of fresh water into an estuarine system, that in and of itself, if it's too much fresh water, even if it was clean, it can create some really major problems in sort of whipsawing the seagrasses and, and other aquatic resources back and forth. But when it comes also with high levels of pollution that, that comes from the uh, agricultural industry, especially with the sugarcane and, and those types of things, it can have a devastating effect and create algal blooms that are are extremely harmful. They can both shade out the light, but also the blue-giving algaes that tend to be the phytoplankton blooms that occur as a result of Lake Okeechobee discharges can actually be toxic in and of themselves. But the problem is even much greater than what comes from Lake Okeechobee. So if you take the Indian River Lagoon, it's about 152 miles long. And so by the time we get to the St. Lucie area, we're down towards the southern end. The northern end has especially been hit hard, but it comes from decades of nutrients making its way through the groundwater from failed septic systems, from improperly treated wastewater from our sewage, uh, there are even exemptions to allow a lot of that sewage to go in relatively poorly treated when we have extra rains, and then we have the fertilizer problem, too, throughout the rest of the Indian River Lagoon, but it comes off a lot from even individual lawns by the hundreds of thousands, as well as agricultural areas up there. The problem is that the the phytoplankton, or the algal species, are, can bloom by the billions and they will shade out the seagrass uh, of the light to the seagrass causes the seagrass to die and of course not only manatees would be suffering because of loss of their food resources but many other species that depend on the seagrass as a healthy fishery those are very dependent upon it and, and there's just so many other things and this has been such a long standing problem that we really have got to fix it and we've got to now go to the courts to help that happen.
0: Patrick, I appreciate the work you're doing. It's important work. Um, I'm I'm curious. You outlined so well what got us to this point. I feel like after decades of, of bad decisions at the state and local level, we are in a right place. The Everglades restoration plan, the desire to curb these east-west discharges, the uh, reservoirs for runoff water, and also you mentioned the septic systems we passed reform in that regard as well a couple of years back that's still being phased in but of course we have the army corps of engineers that dictates the discharge schedule and though they are curbing discharges even once the dike uh, restoration is done they're still going to be existing in some capacity uh, do you feel like enough is in motion and enough is taking place at this point to help restore these habitats or is it just you know scratching the surface
1: well if you if you move farther north, we'll start there. Absolutely not. There's been some progress being made, but there are such accumulative effects on this that it's gonna be a decade or more under the current scenario before we can see meaningful differences. That doesn't mean something isn't happening and some things are, but it's Clearly not enough yet. Another area that we are focusing on is that we've given a 60-day notice of intent to sue the Environmental Protection Agency as well, along with our other environmental partners, because we believe they need to reinitiate formal Section 7 of the Endangered Species Act consultation with the Fish and Wildlife Service. The service actually agrees with us again that that's important. And that would result in higher water quality standards across the board, and it would require the state of Florida to engage and do more. And so it would both have an effect in improving water quality for the entire Indian River Lagoon, but also would be relevant to, to the standards that would be established for Lake O discharges on top of that. EPA initially is rejecting that. Uh, that's why we'll probably have to file the actual lawsuit. They're saying, in effect, that They've set standards And since those standards have not yet been met, they can't determine that they failed. Well, that's about as big a cop-out as you can get. Mm -hmm. We know it's broken. We know these harmful algal blooms are happening year after year, and we know it's affecting so many different things. But in this particular case, since it would also engage the Endangered Species Act along with the Clean Water Act, we feel that's what's going to have to take place is that that combination of those authorities to actually do something about it that can fix this once and for all.
0: Patrick Rose, aquatic biologist and the executive director at the Save the Manatee Club. Patrick, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Natalie, and a trending story of next year, The Brian Mudd Show. He's Radio 610 WIOD.